Thank you, Pastor Dex. I do not take this lightly, and this is honestly the reason why I didn't text him back for two days, aside from the fact that I thought he had messaged somebody else. Uh, you know how that goes. You send the message to the wrong person. I was like, oh, he wasn't talking to me. <laughs> so I was waiting for it to be deleted, but it never got deleted, so I was like, all right, we can talk about it. Um, but, but I don't take this moment lightly, and I don't take it simply because it is something for a pastor to ask someone else to stand in his pulpit. And the gravity of that thought is what consumed me immediately. Um, because if he says that, then it's not just the nature of our relationship. Like, you guys know, affectionately, I refer to him as PD. He's my pastor for certain, but he's also my little brother. And so a lot of times it's like, you know, as much as people kind of get on me about uh, facilitating some of his madness, I'm like, leave my little brother alone. <laughs> like, let him do what he do. Um, but, but the importance of why I'm saying that is I, I just want to give you guys an understanding of kind of my foundational theological thought process, if I can go that way. And the first part of that is the creator is real. He is my everything, and he is the entirety of what I circumnavigate. Um, so if I don't have something to say, <laughs> I'm usually just not going to say anything at all. Um, but the second part of that is I'm just your brother. I'm not your pastor. <laughs> I'm not the senior pastor of the church that's here. And I'm not your father. I'm just your brother. I'm the brooding, silent one that probably plays music that you don't like every often a little too loud. And I'm trying to figure out how to get it louder. <laughs> like, that's who I am in my relationship with you guys, all right? So I want to make that clear. The third thing that's important as we kick this off is that um, <laughs> I, chase, I chase electrons for a living. And sort of one of the, uh, the, the basic skills test of IT people is that you got to kind of be condescending to other human beings. Wow. It's, not you know, it's not really intentional, but it kind of bleeds over because we go through the basics. And the reason why we go through those basics is because of the, the nature of electrons. Um, so if I slow down and I really dig into something, trust that I am not challenging your intelligence. I'm not challenging your theology. I'm not being condescending to you. But the number one rule of communication that my brother constantly refers to, reminds me of, and not this time not PD, but my brother Kenny reminds me of, is the number one rule of communication is the shared definition of terms. If you and I aren't speaking the same language, if I say blue and inside your mind green shows up, then how are we talking about the sky is blue? So I got to make sure in those moments that I kind of shrink into those things. So if I dig, well, if I dig too deep, I told PD, just tackle me, man, I'll, I'll stop and I'll get on with the next point. And then kind of the last thing is that um, in this, I've learned kind of as you, as you talk to people um, in these kinds of moments that we share, that you preach best what you need most. <laughs> um, so for me, I'm really just sharing with you what's going on inside of my life as I approach the creator. Again, that's your pastor. He's trying to feed you. I'm just trying to share with you what I see from my perspective of the creator. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I thank you for this opportunity because though it was handed to me by men, I know that it was you. I know that you are the only one that could have led to this very moment. I don't take that for granted. I am grateful for all that you have done, all that you continue to do. But mostly I'm just grateful for you. 
just a boy who loves his daddy, who's been given an opportunity to share that love with his siblings. And I invite you into this moment. We welcome you into this moment. So do what you always do. Make that way that none of us could make. So that when we're on the other side of these two hours, you get all the glory. In Jesus' name. So 36 years ago, fam, a then 21-year-old songstress posed a series of questions to her audience about the topic of young love. Check it. She said, why do I feel weak? She said she wanted to know what her audience knew about these things. Now here, this is where you're going to get it if you ain't got it yet. How will I know if he really loves me? How will I know if he's thinking of me? And then throughout the course of that four minutes, she repeats, how will I know? How will I know? How will I know? Those questions, fam, are three of them start of what is referred to as the six W's. Those six W's are who, what, when, where, why, and how. Now, again, GD, don't ask me how a W ended up in the six, or an H ended up in the six W's, because I still ain't been able to get an answer from an English teacher anywhere. <laughs> but the important thing is, is that it's a foundational element in the educational systems of our society that teach people how they can know when a question is being asked. So when we look at these questions and we, we gauge them, really, they go from the simple, again, what color is the sky, to the complex, well, why is the sky blue, into those things that really talk about what it means to exist. As Whitney asked, right? How will I know? Right, right? Or, here's one for you singles. When will I meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright? Now, if you're married and you've got a healthy marriage, or you're working on a healthy marriage, you already got your answer. <laughs> but if you got questions still, PD offers counseling service six days a week and sometimes on Sunday to help you sort out who is Mrs. or Mr. Wright? <laughs> but those questions get heavier, don't they? Because in the silence of our time alone, we often ask questions like these. Where am I going? What is my purpose? Why was I born? Who am I? How about this one? Ain't even on the list. Is it worth it? And that is the nature of where we find ourselves in Hebrews. So this is where I got to nerd out in the text for just a, a, a few moments because it's important to what we're doing today. The book of Hebrews is written by an unknown author. And if you get free time and you want to dig into the history of the church, it is a fascinating read about the discussion through the centuries of who actually wrote this book. But what's important for our conversation today is that it's most likely addressed to those who were in and around the city of Rome. You know that last three and a half years we spent in the book, the letter of Rome? This, this, this letter comes a couple of decades after that letter was delivered. So they still had questions, even though they got the initial theology of what it means to be a Christian. Most of the audience at that time had faced off with some form of persecution because about the time that they estimate that it was done, this is when the Roman Empire had turned on one another entirely. And so now Christians were being used as punching bags 
for the bad things that were going on in society. The important thing to remember about those persecutions is that there was no social remedy in sight. There wasn't a Supreme Court that somebody could go to. There was no constitution that was written that said I had a right to practice Christianity. There was none of that. And without a social remedy, what they found themselves facing off with was, is it worth it? Now, let's consider for a moment that while this book is addressed to the Hebrews and thus its name, there is not one mention in the entire text, the entire text, like not even in the original language, of Gentile or Greek, which was their euphemism at the time for non-Hebrews. So you have this book that is written to the Hebrews, but not a single mention of people who were not, not Hebrew. And the reason why this is important is because as you kind of dig into this, you find out then that the book is written entirely in Greek. So let's get this right. It's written to the Hebrews, but it's written in Greek. Now, I understand that that can be a bit of a like, okay, but the Greek language was the trade language of the day. It was the English of the time period. So you know how you travel or you turn on the news and you watch and internationally everybody speaks some variant form of English? That's what Greek was at the time. In order to travel the Roman Empire, you had to speak Greek. And so this author, not only is he writing this text in Greek, but he goes further and it demonstrates this sort of intellectual approach to dissecting the scriptures. It's written in a form of Greek prose that is still being taught and examined in universities to this day. But there is no Jew and there is no Greek for as we learned these past few years from the book of Romans, it says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. So this is important for us as we dig into this, because you got to understand that even though this book is written to the Hebrews, it applies to us today. It was written over 2,000 years ago or somewhere around then, but it applies to us in 2021. That even though this book is written in a style of language that was for the educated, it applies to those like me who just got a GED. This is important that you understand the text is for you. It's not just for those at the time. So let's look at our today. And similar to what the Hebrew church, or I'm sorry, the Roman church was facing off with in Hebrews, this world systems have long since declared God is dead. All around us, power structures are being challenged and shaken so much so that if you flip on any news network, I don't care what your political leanings are, I don't care if you go internationally, they will tell you it seems as though society itself is about to fall. Seems though that if we were to look at the world outside and then look inside of Christ's own body, that the only thing that separates us from the chaos outside is that we gather together in stone and steel edifices once, maybe twice a week, complacently and callously calling on the name of Christ to save us from the world while our brothers and sisters die on the doorstep. The only thing that separates our generation of church from that generation of church 
is that the persecutions haven't reached the place where we're being pulled out in the street and being asked, will you give up the name of Christ? But let me assure you something. The more that you adhere to the truth in this world where truth is disappearing and we're redefining the very definitions of it, that persecution is coming. That's a question that begins with when, not if. And it's in this tension that the author of Hebrews is prompted by the Holy Spirit to pick up a quill and a piece of parchment and just go on this writing exploration that begins at creation. It goes through the origins of the Hebrew nation. It delves into the nature of their religious practices. It comes into the revelation of Christ Jesus as the perfect sacrifice, all to make this fundamental point. God is real. That's it. That's the nature of Hebrews. Like, we can talk about it, we can break it up, we can chop it up, we can do all of these different things. But as you read the book of Hebrews, what possesses the very spirit of the writer, God is real. But we need those fundamentals. Because it seems like that's a silly thing for a preacher of the gospel to say. We're in church. Of course God is real. We all know that. Why would a preacher of the gospel, why would the writer of Hebrews take the time to pin out the nature of that? Because sometimes as human beings, we need to review the fundamentals in order to increase our expertise. We need the fundamentals to constantly be reminded. Think about our brothers and sisters who worship, right? If they didn't go through scales repeatedly, right? If they didn't know what middle C was, right? If they didn't understand that the fundamental driver of worship is the temple held by the drummer, how could, Kia, or how could Lee ever hit those flourishes on her keys? How could Chris ever resolve a crescendo with the guitar? We need the fundamentals, and that's the nature of what Hebrews is doing. What about when you go to a restaurant to eat? If you've never been there before, what do you do? You spend time with the menu, right? You're going through it, page by page, looking for something that seems familiar to you, right? Now, now check it. If I go to a place and they tell me they serve in grits, I'm checking their theology. I actually want to talk to the chef if I really am honest about it. <laughs> because if you tell me you serve in grits and they ain't the savory grits, I know you headed in the wrong direction. <laughs> but it's all good. Because I was actually born into that, that blasphemous theology, putting sugar in grits. So the Lord, through his servant Ty, set me on the path right. <laughs> and now if I get some grits and they ain't got cheese in them, Lord. <laughs> but it's the fundamentals, right? You look at the menu, and if somebody says they're serving pancakes, you expect round pieces of flour to show up. Right? If they say, I'm serving pancakes, and they show up with these weird square things, unless it's Mama's Day and your kids did it, ladies. You like, what? This ain't no pancake. And this is what the author is doing. And in fact, it's even more serious than increasing our expertise 
Because consider what a change in your environment does to you. A car accident, the loss of somebody, it alters your very brain chemistry. And in addition to crying out to the Holy One, it's those fundamentals of your life that you can sink into to help stabilize your emotional responses and give you a path forward through those things. And this is what the Holy Spirit is doing through the writer of Hebrews. That as he is parsing and weaving the scriptures into the exhortation, he contrasts the fundamentals of the old practices of Hebrew, of the Hebrew religion, against the new covenant, showing that not only is Christ the Messiah, the perfect sacrifice, but he is also the perfect high priest of our faith. So let's dig into this. This book is 13 chapters long, and it seems to hit its crescendo right in this area. He comes out, the author, and forgive me if I say he because we don't know, but the author comes through and he hits this place where he's talking about the very nature of the persecutions that they are facing. And as he winds down chapter 10, he reminds them, listen, hold the line of your faith and don't shrink back. And then chapter 11 is opened up with what we refer to oftentimes as the Faith Hall of Fame, right? We get into the text and we start talking about how God formed the world by words themselves. As our educated Master Dex would say, that ex nihilo power. <laughs> he goes then into Abel's offering and how Abel's offering created a path for Abel to speak to us till today. He goes into Enoch's relationship with God, which caused him to walk off this planet because he just wanted to walk with the master. He talks about Noah's perseverance through persecution again, mind you. He talks about Abraham's trust. He talks about Sarah's empowerment, about Isaac and Jacob's blessings of their children to pass down the promise from Abraham. He talks about Joseph's prophecy. And then he dives into the life of Moses, the deliverance from Egypt, and he talks about Rahab's faithfulness and trust. And I'm making it a point to stop right here and point out two very important things. That Rahab is the last name detailed in that portion of Scripture. David is mentioned. The prophets are referenced. None of them have the details that both Sarah and Rahab have. And that is important. And it's worthy to be clapped. Because it's not a separate but equal hall of fame that those ladies are in. It's in the same one that my faith is in. And then he ties himself up, this author, as he's going through and he's mentioning these things. It suddenly hits him as he gets to the end and he goes, if I had time to go through, it's as though his notes were sitting there and he had the life of David. He had the prophets and he wanted to continue this path down names all the way to Jesus. But the Holy Spirit had already given him the answer in verse six. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. 
Did you see it, fam? Yeah. Run that. Run, <laughs> we got to run it back. <laughs> you're right. You're right. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. The him is God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he, the he, that's God. And that he rewards, that's God. Those who seek him, guess who we're talking about? That's God too. But if you don't catch it, then you'll miss it entirely. And if we don't slow down and recognize that even again, though this book is written in the Greek, though it's addressed to the Hebrews, that the very heart language of its writer is Hebraic. It is most likely that he is descended from the very DNA of Abraham. And so in the center of that verse is something so powerful, but you may not catch it if you don't know it. Go forward. We got to hit now, hit, you know, as, as my man Ken Berry would say, the most holiest of translations of the Bible. <laughs> but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh, cometh, notice, notice, notice the cometh, cometh to God, must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Yeah, yeah you didn't see it. <laughs> okay, it's all right. That thought in the middle, wipe away the but without faith, toss away that he's a rewarder. That sinner thought, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, is entirely Hebrew in its thought process. Because the Hebrew people received the revelation of God. And so it's, it's as though this book with this Hebrew thought process and its Greek writing is marrying the very nature of revelation and the age of reason together to give us this understanding that at the root of it all, God is real. Not only is this fundamental to our faith, it is the very essence of the gospel message. And I'm going to boldly go and just say the universe itself would not exist without the creator of it. And listen, fam, this isn't accidental language usage. This isn't just some turn of phrase. This is very, very deliberate. The author of Hebrews is pinning this through to he is. Full stop. Now, why is this important? Because, again, Hebrew thought process, you got to look at your whole covenant you can't just take the New Testament and what you love about the things that Jesus said without understanding that Jesus is the son of David, right? That he is descended from Abraham, right? Like these things are important. That wasn't an accident. If God just wanted to deliver us through Jesus, he could have just dropped them in, right? Like a DJ just hitting the beat. He could have just dropped them in and there's boom, salvation. And we could have gotten our party on for eternity. But then 40 and two generations that PD broke down for us not too long ago. It was important that Jesus came through that because of a man named Abraham. But we don't even get the story from Abraham. We get the story from Moses. So this is what happens in Exodus 3. It says, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, 
Yeah? What is his name? Sorry, I, you, know, you know how we get, right? Somebody come and tell us they got a word for us. Yeah, we sus. <laughs> All right. Uh, what church you go to? <laughs> Wait, here go. What version of the Bible you read? Hmm. You listen to that CCM? Oh, you're one of them gospel preachers, <laughs> right? Right, right, right. So that's, 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 that's what Moses is doing here. He's like, how am I going to convince them? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Now listen, fam. These three verses could feed us for eternity. Like, there is so much in here that when I sent my first draft to PD, he was like, yeah, this ain't Bible study, Chris. <laughs> because consider what we're talking about with Moses, that this is 40 years after he had been trained in Egypt, right? And so if you don't know much about Egyptian culture, it may not make sense to you Moses' response to this burning bush that he just kind of shrugs and goes, all right, let me turn aside and check this thing out. As though that thing had been burning for a while, y'all. Like, like... <laughs> I don't know if you catch the language. He says, let me turn aside, kind of this casual type of thing. Like My man saw it early, finished his day's labor, and was like, all right, let me go check out what is going on over here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so he goes over, and he has this conversation with the creator of the universe, and he's largely unaffected, it seems. It seems. And in the middle of it, he says, yeah, he goes, the Egyptians worshiped so many gods, they had gods for gods, y'all. <laughs> like, they had gods that were for, like, a, not just a season, but we're talking about one tick of one moment of one day, you worship this god only, just for that moment. So when he comes to him and God says to him, I'm sending you to talk to Pharaoh, and he goes, all right, Pharaoh's cool, but them children of Israel are not going to be moved by me talking about any god. Who are you? I want to know who you are, is really what he's getting at. <laughs> I want to live here, y'all. But God says to Moses, I am who I am. Because the nature of our creator is so far beyond anything that can be encapsulated in all of the words of all of eternity that all of us could ever speak. He is so far beyond that we use the word lofty, and it's not a word that we use in modern English very much anymore. It's an old English word that really defines something that was so far beyond the realm of understanding and logic that you could not reasonably comprehend it, and thus it was lofty. God, y'all, the very concept of him, the very thought process of him, the very nature of him. You remember when he tells Isaiah, he says to him, he's like, listen, man. He's like, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so far am I above you. So far are my thoughts beyond what you could possibly conceive. That is the lofty one that is talking to Moses face to face from the burning bush. And he says, I am who I am. Go forward before I stay right here. 
This is your shout right here. And just this word that he gives to Moses, he says, this is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Fam, please understand something, that the nature of the fact that we call him God, that we call him creator, that the Jewish people refer to him as Hashem, and that translates to the name, is because human beings, not the God of the universe, human beings said we weren't supposed to say his name. But he has declared it here. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. I am who I am brought you to this service this morning. But I know we in church, we Christians, so I got I to gotta show it to you in the text. This, this, y'all, fam. Straight from Twitter itself. Now, it's Greek Twitter, so it was before pictures, and, you know, the dates are a little fuzzy. But you can trust this, this is what happened. In John 8, the master is, is chilling in the temple. <laughs> He's doing what the master does, right? Jesus goes to the temple regularly to preach. And so he's chilling out in the temple, and he just tweets out. He's like, yo, I'm the light of the world. (laughs) Get at me for that light of life. (laughs) And the the Pharisees wasn't having none of that. They was like, that ain't true. You can't make that claim. We keep the law. Excuse me. Hashtag. We keep the law. (laughs) And Jesus goes back. He says, bro, what up? I ain't hit you like that. I ain't come at you. Uh, This is, I'm telling y'all, pick up the Bible, turn to it. This is what's going on here. He said, I ain't come at you like that. But since you're in my mentions, you better check the creds. I am the light, asked the Father. And the Pharisees, child, please. (laughs) Now, some of y'all know what I mean. (laughs) And those who don't know, you can ask those who do know. Child, please. You ain't even blue check certified. Who your daddy? And this is Jesus' response. Bruh, check your, 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 your checks, your blue checks, your certifications, your ideas, your discussions, your definition of terms. They mean nothing to me. And if you know, you know. And this continues. Fam, this is just the first part of this exchange. He goes back and forth with them. When I tell you it was a Twitter beef, I'm not playing with y'all. Go and open up John 8 and check the back and forth. They was, they was tweeting, subtweeting, replying, kicking mentions off. This is what's going on in the temple, y'all. At the treasury, no less. <laughs> and then he drops the mic with this in verse 58. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, Fam, when I tell you that that was a mic drop moment, it ain't just a shout for us today. You want to know the Pharisees have riled up the crowd to such a degree that when he says to them, before Abraham was, I am, they went to cancel your savior. (laughs) And they picked up stones to do it because they was going to cancel him permanently. They wasn't going to come, no comeback from this cancellation that they had planned for him. But I'm going to leave past the decks to teach y'all about the rest of that verse. (laughs) What's important to understand here is that Jesus himself makes the connection between Hebrews and Exodus. 
am who I am. Sent this man through a woman to be born, to be chilling in the temple on that day, to have that exchange so that he can say, before Abraham was, he hits them. Man, when I tell y'all, you ever have somebody that come at you so hard? And it's usually the people that know you best, right? It's like sitting around the dinner table, you at the cookout, or it's Thanksgiving or something like that, and somebody reminds you of them, 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 them way old days, like your way, way back BC days. That's what he did to them. He hit them in the very nature of their identity. That before you had an identity, not even before you were born, right? Like, like you could have just gone, yeah, man, before you was around, I was, Right? Like he could, no, no, no. He hits them in the nature of their identity. Before Abraham was, I am. Man. And the nature of not just a human being, but a Jewish human being, to make that declaration sent them into a seething rage that there was no coming back from. this is what happens when we encounter the Savior. Our Bible study last year was all about those encounters with Jesus, right? We see this as we dip back into the old covenant in the life of Jacob. And it mirrors perfectly, fam, it mirrors perfectly any of those who would approach the Creator. In his BC, Jacob was one of the scandalous dudes in all of the text. Like, <laughs> the nature of what he was. I, I, okay. <laughs> when he was born, he was holding his brother's heel, right? Which was something that the text made mention. All right. But not only was he holding his brother's heel as the second born, he was constantly vying for that top spot. So much so that he stole, lied, and deceived his own daddy to get to the top of that spot. He didn't receive that inheritance the way that it was supposed to be handed down. This wasn't protocol. Jacob went and he took it. <laughs> and in response, Esau was like, all right, that's cool. You just wait till Pops dies. I got a page from the book of Cain for you, brother. <laughs> So Jacob flees the scene, y'all. For 20 years, he flees the scene. And y'all can go through it, read the text about his straight Maury Povich life, man. I, I kid y'all not. My man, two wives, two, like, just, just, just read the text, y'all. There's children in here. I can't. <laughs> but in his BC, Jacob even speaks arrogantly to the creator of the universe. In Genesis 28, 20, he has the gall to give God an if-then statement while he's on the run. Now, I don't know, you know, I don't know what your BC was like, but I've been on the run from the authorities in my BC. <laughs> and let me tell you, the prayer that I was praying to the Most High at that time was not, if you bless me, then I will. It was like, Lord, save me. <laughs> but that's not what Jacob did. He has the utter gall to go to the creator of the universe and is like, listen, if you bless me in all my deeds, Jacob, you literally just stole the birthright from your brother, and you asking the creator of the universe to bless you in everything, and then you'll consider serving him? That's who Jacob was. 
Then he goes and he meets his Uncle Laban. <laughs> and Uncle Laban had something for him. There's a phrase from the old days. It goes, beware of old men in a game where young men die. That was Uncle Laban. <laughs> Uncle Laban knew every game that Jacob wanted to play because he had already run all those games. He had spent a lifetime running those games. And so Jacob comes thinking he's going to run game on Uncle Laban. And <laughs> Uncle Laban's like, dice already loaded in my favor, brother. Excuse me. Dice already loaded in my favor, young buck. <laughs> and he puts Jacob through 20 years of torture. All while he on Maury, though, still. Y'all, I'm telling you, get in the text. <laughs> but something happens to him. Because when Jacob reaches his wit's end, when he's had his fill of Uncle Laban and he's headed back to the land of promise, he sends out scouts. And them scouts, he goes, hey, I need you to do me a favor. 20 years is about right for beef. Go hit up my brother Esau. Let him know I'm on my way back and I just want peace. And fam, 20 years ain't nothing <laughs> when you're in your feelings. Because <laughs> them scouts came back and said, hey, we did exactly what you asked us to do, and your brother Esau is coming to meet you with 400 men. <laughs> now, again, I don't know your background, but if somebody's showing up to your house with a car full of people, it ain't because they want to have a conversation with you, <laughs> right? If they showing up with more than one SUV fully loaded, it ain't because they about to give you a free whip. <laughs> they about to give you a free whip. Exactly right. And so that's the nature of where we pick up with Jacob. And this is the prayer that he prays when he's at his wit's end. He says, oh, God of my father, Abraham, God of my father, Isaac. O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. Check it now. This arrogant, this is the one. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. Yo, servant? Like, Jacob? <laughs> Jacob had a 180 when he reached his wits end, and he humbly submitted to the I am. And then you see this language change. And it's one of the most beautiful things, fam, that you can ever read. Go check out how he blesses his grandchildren in Genesis 48, how he talks to his sons in Genesis 49, how he even talks to the Pharaoh of Egypt at his time. This was no longer the God of my fathers, my grandfather. I am had become his God. Jacob humbled himself in this moment and recognized that for all that he had done, all that he was, every thought that he ever thought, that it was utterly nothing as compared to the lofty one. God goes from just being that title, that name, to the one that he seeks, to the one that he believes in, to the one that rewards him. And that's our life, y'all. Like, that's, that's the very nature of who we are, right? That's what, it, that's what Hebrews 11.6 is saying, that those who would make the approach to God must first believe that he is. And then he reveals himself to you as I am. 
And suddenly your language changes, fam. And you are communicating with him as you are. You are my shepherd. You are my strong tower. You are the one who made a way. That it's not just what you did for my grandma, but creator of the universe, it's what you have done for me. That it's not about Abraham and Isaac. And if I can get real personal, it's not about Celeste and Margaret and what they taught me coming up about the one who created it all. But that he's now my God. He is the God of Christopher Xavier Stewart. You are my God. And that's what I spend my life trying to impart to them little human beings back there. I'm just trying to make this introduction to the one who created you. Your mom and I helped to bring you here. Your mom and I, we helped to feed you, clothe you, help you find your purpose. But your ultimate purpose, he is. But fam, I'm not just telling you something that I heard. When Pastor Dex asked me to preach, when we finally agreed and we <laughs> he asked me what I was going to preach. And without hesitation, I told him Hebrews 11.6, because I have anchored my very life to it. And not the entirety of the text, but my life has been anchored to that linchpin that in, is in the middle of the text, y'all. That whoever would draw near to God must first believe that he is. And the season that it happened, as the worship team comes back, it was in 2009. Fam, our tribe had our own personal 2020. Some of y'all know the size of our family. And at the time, there were seven. And we had our first miscarriage. And I had no words, like none. And then a couple of months later, my spiritual father, the man who mentored me in the faith, he got promoted and left to Texas, y'all. And for a kid who grew up with abandonment issues, let me tell you that even if you celebrate the promotion of somebody in your life, that's a wound that you don't readily just heal from instantly. And so his loss. And then at the beginning of the summer, Ty's dad passed away. And at the end of summer, my mom passed away. And in 2009, at the end of the year, I'm having to stare face to face with these seven little lives that I had been telling all my life. The great I am is the greatest power in the universe. And they're looking at me, where's your God now? And Ty and I had the joyous double duty of now, both reconciling the hits to our individual faith and also convincing these little lives that he is worthy of trust even when the storms come. But I had to pack that up, y'all. It was hard for me to make that statement. I had to close up shop and I had to strip all of my theology, every lesson that mama and grandma had ever taught me, every church thing, every, the, everything, red, yellow, black, and white, like all of it stripped away. And all I was left with was I'm coming to you, creator. 
I know you exist. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you're facing off with, but he does. You are not in this room on accident. You are not watching this either live or later on accident. He knew. He set this moment up. Pastor Dex offered the invitation. I graciously accepted. But he is the one that orchestrated the moment. So I got just one question for you. How are you going to respond? Because whoever would draw near to God, they must believe that. you got to believe it. I'm standing here in the moment telling you that he is, but until you have that encounter with him and change that verb tense to you are, you will never understand what people are telling you. That everyone who preaches to you about the gospel, everyone who talks to you about the gospel is really only offering you an invitation. And at the risk of being temporarily suspended by the brain trust for setting up the next Dex joke of the day. <laughs> I've only got one pill to offer you, as Morpheus told Neo, and that's the gospel. Start them up, y'all. So today there's three. If you don't know who this God is that I've been talking about for the last few, that Keith and the ladies have been singing about for the last few, I invite you to taste and see for yourself. But I also understand that there's more than that going on in the world at this moment. And so if you, fam, are already in the house but you're feeling that need for some exhortation, kind of like those the audience of Hebrew was at the time that they were going through, the altar's open for you too. And as Pastor Dex comes back up to close this out, if you just need to spend time in your Father's presence, that you don't need prayer or help from anyone, your Father's altar is open for you too. And as we worship, just know, I'm here, PD is here, some of the elders will be here if you need prayer, but you can come to this altar because the great I am is calling to you. He wants to be your you are. He wants to no longer be the God of your forefathers, the God of Pastor Dex, the God of Keith Briggs, the God of Leanne Otto. He wants to be your God, and he wants to be known by you, by his name, so that when you call on him, that you understand that this is now you and him. So the invitation is open.